0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Fraser's Gamsat podcast. Um, my name is Dr. Scott Fraser. Welcome to the first podcast for our mailbag.
1: Yeah, uh, I, think, I think we did one early one, but it was sort of, you weren't the host, so this is the, the first um, first this is,
0: real mailbag. The real one. We've actually got mail in the bag, Exactly, uh, which helps for the mailbag. So <laughs> uh, yeah, hopefully this will be uh, good in that we'll be able yep. to answer lots of the questions that everyone's been giving to us hopefully that uh, other listeners have been thinking about, but maybe haven't been uh, confident enough to ask us directly.
1: Yeah. 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 Um, And for those who don't recognize the voice, I'm Tom. I've been on a lot of the other episodes. I'm one of the tutors and I work closely with Scott on building the programs at Phrases. Um, Excellent. Cool. Okay. So what's been happening in the last month or so? What kind of Mm. questions have you been getting?
0: Oh, many and varied. It's, it's uh, we're starting yeah. to get to the business end of the the preparation period, so uh, people are definitely more intense in the the type of things that they want to know. I think the stress levels are starting to get yeah. up a bit. Yep. Yeah, uh, but that's understandable. So I think we're we're six weeks out now from from the big day. Yeah, and yeah, this, the questions I'd say are starting to go from being more broad to more pointed. They're getting more specific and focusing on, yeah. you know, nuance.
1: I guess that's a good sign for people that are asking, you know, the more, like, obviously they've been doing some preparation and research and things. Yeah, correct. Um, yeah. I've been noticing some people I think are probably only tuning into prep now-ish. i seen um, a lot of that too, yeah. Probably the people that are slightly more confident. Um, I know I was in sort of in that position the first time I was preparing some of those more, I don't know, science-minded students or people have started before and maybe did not relatively well um
0: yeah yeah that there's a few that are they're definitely the science students but i think (laughs) they also yeah don't know that this is different to just a science exam yeah exactly it's
1: like what is gamsat (laughs) (laughs) what is gamsat but also
0: hey i just uh want some help brushing up on my theory and yeah it's like
1: i've done my university slides yeah, um, few weeks out. How should I use the last few weeks? And it's like, oh god, yeah. it's yeah. You're in for a treat.
0: Yeah, um, let's do chirality again. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> um, yeah. We should be past chirality. So, uh, with that said, that's that's part of the I guess the journey for people that are trying to self-study on their own the first time. So yeah, should be cool with that. Are you feeling ready to dive into the the mailbag? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Um. Speaking of of one month out. Uh, dear Scott, just uh, thought I'd reach out to see what you think would be the most important things to be doing one month out from the GAMSAT. I work full time and need to use my time to the best of my ability. Yeah, that's, a good, yeah. Yeah,
1: that's a good question. Um, so so for anyone who's in that position, I would usually recommend doing a paper or I would ask them, have you done a paper before?
0: Yeah. Yep. Um,
1: because... I don't know. It's, I think it's, all, it's always this way with difficult exams. People kind of abstract away from it. But until you've actually sat down and done a paper, it's pretty hard to be able to analyze what you do and don't need to do. Yep. Um, I don't know any about anything about this person, but they could be an engineer, could be an art student, could be any, anything in between. Um, and obviously, our advice would be tailored around that. Yep. So, I don't know. With a month to go, I would definitely be recommending doing questions even if you're not that sure seeing where your gaps are and then studying sort of pockets of theory around sort of areas that you can't engage with so what i mean is if you get flick to a chemistry question and it's you just can't like you can't even start to thinking there's no entry point to the question yeah Yeah. exactly it's just like above your level then i'm sure there'll be multiple questions that are like that you kind of have to across an exam what what area you think would be sort of the highest yield or the highest payback um, yeah i think typically students find that physics is often the one that's maybe doesn't have as much yield because the topics in physics are quite discreet and so if you study talks um, you're kind of banking on the fact that a question on talk will be on the test if a, a circuit diagram comes up which would be unusual but Let's just say it came up. Yeah. Um. You won't get rewarded for having studied anything about talks, whereas with chemistry, um, obviously, sure, if you're memorising organic reactions, maybe it's not that you know interchangeable. But I guess some of the concepts do intermeld. and as you study theory, it you'll sort of get rewarded in untold ways. Um, yeah. Same thing with bio. Like, if you don't know anything about cellular bio, and you start studying, lots of questions will suddenly become doable. Yeah. Um.
0: Do you think it's something that if you, again, thinking about this person, maybe they're doing a program, maybe they're not. But if they were not doing a program, uh, what when they sort of you know pick up maybe one of the ACE practice tests or something, mm-hmm. what should they be aiming to take out of that?
1: Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, so a few things. I'd say one would be the experience of sitting at some of those more exam technique-y kind of things, understanding um, the timing that they're going to need to use and just just an overall experience of sitting the paper, I think would be useful. Yeah. Um, second part of it is I think it'd be useful for them to understand how the questions are going to look.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, and sort of, I guess, what topic areas may appear and the way that it's going to be presented because it is significantly different from any other tests that they will have seen in the past. Yeah. And then, yeah, ultimately, I think... Um, it's difficult with one practice test to see the full spectrum of everything that's going to be potentially tested. Yes. But I, but I do think that by sitting a paper in section three, say, you yep. can get kind of get a sense of where you are in your ability to approach it. You can think of it in a simple way, like this is above me. I can try to reason through this question or the top end, which is ideal is that you can reason through the question, you also understand the theory and you're sort of at that higher plane of being able to do the question kind of without friction.
0: Sure. Um, So there's kind of sort of two aspects there then that students should be aiming to take away. One is, you know, whether the background kind of allows them to get into the question, but then equally from just the experience of the, the test, seeing the way things are presented and then thinking about how other things that aren't on the test could be presented in different ways. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because the ACE material is not meant to show you the, the breadth of the, you know, the things you can be tested on. No, no. And that's, that's something that, you know, if you are a month out and you're going from scratch, you, you shouldn't be taking them as the, the testable syllabus. Exactly,
1: yeah. You shouldn't spend yeah. 25 minutes on each question reviewing and studying all the theory relevant. Correct, yeah. correct.
0: Yeah. yeah. If, you're, if you're someone that's sort of in a program... Um, or you've been, uh, working heavily, uh, along a structured timeline. Mm-hmm. How do you extract the nuance out of this last month? Assuming that this individual then is actually kind of through the theory, um, and they're yeah, just looking for those small gains.
1: Yeah, definitely. So, um, yeah, so look, I think there, there's obviously a spectrum of things that you could do, um you know obviously we have we have our own programs that start in the next couple of weeks so you know obviously come come out get, come up for us for help sure but outside like in general looking at any preparing for any test um, i think taking some time to plan out um, what your goals are and what you're going to try and achieve is important so that's really good advice yeah. um, so within a month you know how much theoretical ground can you possibly cover and like i said you know trying to prioritize what what area of theory you might want to study yeah um then getting your hands on material on some materials will be pretty important i think yeah um what, what they are doesn't really matter i like i think it, you know mm-hmm. it could be it could be game set style questions but um and that's probably the gold standard or the uh, cool. silver standard um mm. but but you could also you could do any any um any questions from anywhere so even university questions or high school questions or anything i think would be useful at that sort of basic level
0: yeah i think that's if if you've taken let's say this individual's taken your advice they've sat a a practice exam yeah i think one thing that a practice exam teaches you is that any form of material can be beneficial towards the preparation as long as you view it through the right lens yeah i think that's a sort of a a sub question that people often ask themselves when they're thinking about, what's a good material, what's bad material? A lot of it's actually the the individual's approach to the material. If you're looking for something that you're literally going to then see the repeat of, well, you know, you're not gonna find it. But if you're looking for ways to improve certain aspects, so university questions obviously are gonna be much more precise. And if you can separate those questions shows that your foundations are great but if you're looking at maybe mcat or bmap material or or other gamsat material um trying to have a meta appreciation for the style of the question yeah. um is as beneficial but definitely comes from a different perspective
1: yeah and i think so if i had one month and that was it um sort of in going back to that planning thing my yeah. goal would probably be trying to build a strategy Across the test, um, yeah. sort of, um, we're talking about it a bit in our simulation day, but like from waking up to walking out of the test, I want to know exactly what I'm going to do end to end, okay. for each of the sections. Um, so for section one, I want to have a sense of how I'm going to approach the different types of text there are, how I'm going to approach a question I don't know what the answer is, whether it's two options or three options. Like, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. Um, and section two, maybe I want to have a sense of what essay I'm going to write for task A what essay I'm going to write task B you know obviously with some flexibility there but yep. sort of roughly have a sense and then for section 3 as well I, I want to be in the same position what do I do if I have a question that I have NFI about you know yeah, yeah. Um, what what am, what am I going to do I, you can't just yep. freeze on the day no because um, if you have a sound strategy I, I really think that that could can have a significant so sort of like a hallmark effect on your score yes um, compared to you in the same position going into the test without that strategy. Correct. Correct. Um and it's kind of a it's a it's a softer skill uh, yeah than, you know, doing a hundred questions. But a few hours spent thinking about that will probably pay off in a greater way.
0: Yeah. And it's hard to know at the time, but uh <coughs> I think once you've seen enough students and whatnot, I, I can definitely say that that's the case. Segwaying off that, uh, I actually had a student yesterday ask me this question and mm-hmm. I thought it was a good question because uh, I'm not usually a Section 1 tutor. Right. Um, and I guess you dabble across the whole board, but uh, Section 1 poetry is, is one of those things that yep. tends to be a love or hate. It's the physics of, of Section 1. Mm-hmm. Do you have any key tips on how to approach poetry questions? Yeah. So that you can at least get some of it right. So this, yeah. is, this is like the worst case scenario. This is I'm getting none out of four, none out of five, yep. that type of thing. Exactly. How do you at least break even?
1: Cannot read, you know. Um, <laughs> I only read the words, not the meaning. Um, <laughs> no, I, look, I mean, poetry is interpretive. Like it's the same thing for cartoons, anything really. I yep. think uh, people find find anything where you have to interpret, it's a challenge and, and there will be a spectrum of views on anything. Yeah. Um, I found the most useful thing in poetry is that there is going to be like a correct or like median interpretation of this poem, like the rough themes that are at play. And the only way to actually get good at doing that in my experience was to get, find poems It's easy to find poems online for free. Yeah. Um, Print it off. Have a spend give yourself some time 10 ten fifteen minutes. Have a read. Um, maybe write some notes about the different themes you think that are there. Maybe what each stanza means roughly. Um, maybe who the different characters are. Kind of like bring it back to your twelve potentially and do some basic kind of analysis of the piece. Yeah. And then, st- like stop and go and try and find some sort of expert analysis of the poems. Um, yeah. Which again are often freely available. so yeah. uh, You know a humanities student type who's, who's looked into this and or even better, like critically acc- acclaimed analysis of the poem, something like that. Yeah. And then you can compare how your thinking thinking or opposed um, the, their thinking. Yeah. Um, and I think doing that away from questions is useful because the questions really start influencing the way you interpret the poem. And that's like, that would be my advice for students with poetry. I really try and ignore the questions in, in my reading of the poem because as soon as you start, like, seeing the themes that Acer that place in your mind and the things that they want you to think when you read the poem, it starts influencing the way you think.
0: I would agree with that. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, yeah. So, you, for instance, if there's a question about, like, ones about death and love and all these things, you start really looking for it in the poem as yeah. opposed to just interpreting it for what it is. Correct. Um, the other thing I found is that I think with poetry, there are some common motifs. Again, there's no guarantee that they'll appear on your test day yeah uh but things like birds rising out of the sun like the phoenix you know rebirth um things yep. like that yep. um they do like reappear um and often things like ocean and the waves are used to as analogies for relationships and love and things like that yeah um I think Pablo Neruda as well has lots of poems. There was one one year where they had one of his poems um, translated into English on the on the actual exam, yeah. and I still remember it was about like waves crashing and things like that. It was about a relationship between two people, but mm-hmm. I could definitely and I and I could see the the questions. There were questions about like. The water and yes, you know yes. the fish and the birds and like very literal interpretations of the poem. Yeah. And I can I can completely understand why people would get confused if they hadn't seen the material ever. It's pretty hard to um, interpret.
0: Yeah. Do you find that when reading poetry? Uh, I like your advice about reading the poem before you read the questions. Otherwise, you'll you'll take the bias backward. Yeah. What about the actual way you read the poem? Because a, a lot of it is written uh, with rhyming mm-hmm. uh, or in sort of that stanza format. Yeah. The stanza format can also kind of manipulate your inter- interpretation of, of, of larger themes and, and yeah. relationships. Do you have any reading techniques for the way you go about reading poems? Yeah, definitely. So
1: you can... Um, the proper way to read it is with the normal grammatical structures that appear. So you read it, if you imagine the stanza, the four lines, if you put them all into one line... Um, yeah. You should read it as though it's one line, and if there are commas and full stops and whatever else, then you would pause at those natural points. Yep. So sometimes in a poem, even on the same line in a stanza, there'll be a full stop, and then it'll be a capitalised letter and start of a new sentence. Yeah. You're actually not meant to pause at the end of the stanza. You're just meant to pause whenever the, there is grammar. Yes. Yes. Um, and yeah, I th- like I think I, I think that also helps because it it becomes less. Yeah, I like more of just reading, a reading exercise as opposed to doing the kind of poem dance, I don't know. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, yeah. The other thing that I kind of notice is that there's normally a couple of questions about the poem and its meaning. Mm-hmm. There's often then questions about the structure. Yeah. And two very different ways of arriving at answers to both questions. Mm-hmm. Structure is usually more... Literal in the way that you yeah, kind definitely. of look at it. Yeah. yeah,
1: like structure is what it is. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like um, how it's being put together. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily going to be a motive. Whereas the the actual content, that's where it's going to you know allude to things or yep. have representations. Yeah, I
1: agree with yeah. that. I think um, yeah, like structure will often comment on the rhyming or the uh, like the flow and things like that that are probably more. Um, yeah, more ob- objective things. Yep. Uh, and then the things asking about tone or the author's feeling or the meaning of certain things is definitely more interpretive and subjective. Yep. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I agree with that.
0: Okay. So, <clears throat> with that said, and sort of your initial advice about how to go from one month out, are Acer preparative materials generally as hard as the actual GAMSET itself?
1: It's a good question um, yeah. when we get a lot. Uh, yep. So it depends on which books and um, tests you're doing. Yep. Um, the sort of more traditional materials, I think it's the, I'm gonna get the colors wrong. So like the blue, the green and purple, they're the old ones, ones like the sample questions and the two practice tests. Yep. Anyway, um, so the difficulty on those papers, I think, oh, let's just grade it out of 10. I think the difficulty on, on those papers is probably, say, 5 out of 10. Right. I think the recent pink book is actually on the easier side of things. Um, yep. So, yep. probably more like a 3 out of 10, something like that. Yep. Um, and for any, everyone listening, like if you didn't do that well in the papers, I'm not saying that you're going to do really badly or anything like that. Correct. Um, it's just more to give you a sense of what you're in for in March. Uh, yeah. And so on that same scale, the real Gumsat is probably like a seven or eight, depending on the, year. um, it's yep. significantly harder than the practice books, in my opinion. Yep. Um, I esp- agree with that. especially because in section three, there's m- much, m- much more, um, imagery and graphs and interpretation and data and tables and things that, um, it's probably a little bit less present, I think in section three, especially in the pink book. Yeah. Um. It, I don't know. It, it just seems more seamless. Like if you listen to people talk about the pink book and say, yeah, i, I got a hunt. I've heard of students getting a hundred out of 110, um, from it within our student pool last year. Yeah. And, um, you yeah, know, that's excellent. But, but uh, I, I'd say it's almost impossible to get a score that high on the, on the ACE. Of on book. the actual, but basically yeah. impossible. Yeah. I um, would agree with that. Even on the green in the purple book, that's like getting 80, 90 is probably like towards the max case for section three. Because yep. there's just some questions that are, yeah, like very difficult. And um, even, the, even if you have all the things going in the right direction, there'll still be a bunch of questions that are 50% choice between one or two answers that you're not sure of. Um, so the short answer is, yeah, I think the real exams are tougher. Mm-hmm. Um, and what that means is that, yeah, like those kind of exam technique things, avoiding fatigue... Having the strategy will pay off in in a very large magnitude. Like you'll be surprised how much people get a bit broken by the just the whole experience of the day. Um, yeah,
0: it's also why you shouldn't be complacent if you get a good mark on the practice material.
1: Exactly. Yep. Yeah.
0: Have that Kobe mentality. Yep. Continue to work. Definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Speaking I, of speaking of the real day, uh, on the actual GAMSAT, there's like an urban myth that mm-hmm. there are some questions that are either they're not questions or they're a grading question. Yeah. Sometimes they're commonly referred to as test questions. Mm-hmm. Do they exist? <laughs> and if so, what's their purpose?
1: It's a very good question. Um, so, okay. So first, every, everything about this stuff is a little bit speculative. I think that goes without saying. Sure. Um, and the only way that we can analyze this, we've done many times, it's like do deep dives on... You know, Aces uh, research and methodologies and item response theory and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Um, look, I, I think it's pretty likely that um, test questions exist. Um, the reason, <clears throat> the reason those types of things would exist is exactly as as we just said for various purposes, whether or not they actually grade students is probably a a bit more gray. Mm -hmm. I would tend towards saying that they probably don't affect students actual end result. Um, I would, I would think that it'd be more likely that they're doing some own research on the way that they've been grading questions, difficulty and things like that. Um, or trying, trying to work out which, which styles of questions are most predictive and those kind of things. Yeah. Um, that's very f- consistent with item
0: response theory.
1: Yeah, there are a few yeah. reasons why I, f- I feel like that as well. I, th- I think from like a political standpoint um, and also from an ethical standpoint, I think it'd be pretty unethical for them to have different questions for different students that are resulting in different scores. I don't think that mm. would play particularly well. It also doesn't make sense there's no objective way to grade a question without the student performance part of it. Correct. So, you know, no matter how much of a psychometrician you are, if you look at a question, you can yeah, sure, you can go through all these predictive stats and things and you can have um, sort of uh, people within ACES organization doing the questions and they have pre-existing levels that they already know and then they can grade the question. But ultimately, the way that they would have to do the stats is on the students because that's the group. Yeah. And so you have different questions being tested on the group um there's no way it's kind of like any experiment like if you do two different interventions how do you compare those two students like if if you have the red pill i have the blue pill yeah we can't then work out what the end effect is comparing us yeah but what we can do is say that the blue pill meant whether or not i was going to score well and the red pill actually was pretty predictive of your score yeah so maybe the red pill is a better test uh, question style for future sits that we'll build some of those questions in.
0: Correct. I I definitely like that theory. Um, I've kind of arrived at at two potential theories. One of them was that that, uh, in the nature of being able to predict, so you you have an idea of what's hard and what's easy, but Mm -hmm. to be able to actually measure that and see what sort of disagreement there is between what you think is a good differentiator versus what actually yep. is, yep. you would need some test questions to do that. Um, and then equally, because the game's is such an, an evolutionary exam that changes with each iteration, it's almost like you need to throw out some new stuff uh, and kind of test it against exactly, the cohort. Yeah, definitely. And see how they they palette that. Exactly. For and the next
1: 20 question development exactly, yeah, series.
0: Exactly, for, for the new content and to make sure that there's an element of consistency there so that you know you don't have one test that just ends up being heaps easier yeah because that throws out you know 2 years worth of you know applicants exactly. off the back of that yeah so that's kind of consistent with that maintenance of not just excellence in the in the the quality of the content that's being produced, but also ensuring that future iterations uh, are along that sort yeah. of line.
1: Sort of getting better and better, at doing their ultimate job, which is meant to be predicting the best medical students. Correct. Um, yeah. What a couple of other things that they could potentially do with test questions very quickly. Yeah. Um, they could they could do all sorts of
0: different research,
1: which if you think of the actual purpose as an organization it makes sense for them to be doing that type of research on students
0: Australian Council for well, educational research exactly
1: with yeah. them without consent <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> well, you do sign it away but yeah for instance
1: like you know the, if you put their test question in the first 10 minutes and then for half the students you put that test question in the last um, last 10 minutes and then you compare the results between those two groups yeah. of students and see if that actually makes a significant difference or not um, all those types of things like you said would assist in constructing better tests in the future. Yeah. Uh, there's that side of it. And also, um, yeah, like you said, testing different content types and styles and things. Mm. And I think the thing that people are probably raging about listening to to this is, well, if I get a test question at the end and it breaks me, then you know, why is that fair against someone where it's at the start? It kind of isn't fair, but you know, well, we don't control the rules. You just got to operate within the system. You never Correct. know which ones are test and which are not, so you've just got to do the same thing. Have a clear strategy across the board.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there is some assumption around what is a hallmark of a test question is that it only has one mark associated with it and you do usually see three to four of them per GAMSAT but there's definitely more test questions than that so yeah they are potentially some form of test question I personally think they're not and I actually think they're, they're questions that test more raw skills yeah so they've got a different metric purpose for sure um, whereas the test questions are GAMSAT style questions and and yeah. therefore the purpose of future GAMSATs
1: and we'll never know like it could even be one option within another question that is actually marked you know there's no there's no yeah. way to know questions within questions yeah like it could be yes. you know, there could be four questions and the second one is a test and the other ones are real questions yeah um so look the the short, there's no way to know um, no way to
0: know but still give every single question your full attention exactly yeah yeah,
1: yeah. Um, i think this is some questions, that like just one question I had. Don't want to your thunder. Oh, sure. But it, it's a good segue it, about item response theory. Mm-hmm. Um, we did a Q&A session last week, uh, sort of a week after our hack day. And yeah, it was just sort of open forum basically. Um, and everyone was asking me all their questions. And one of the questions was about item response theory and like how it works and whether or not they would, that students would likely to get less than a mark um, mm-hmm. depending on like the, on the results of, of the analysis that they do. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on that?
0: I do. I've been a little bit cheeky in the classes I've been teaching since Hack Day. We, obviously at Phrases, we collect our student data. We get an idea of which questions students loved, which they didn't. Mm -hmm. And I add an extra sort of qualitative factor when I actually ask them, what did you like and what did you not? I get them to put it all up on the board. So I almost have a, a, a metric of their their empathy for the questions, love and hate wise. Yeah. Then I have a metric for performance. And I kind of look at that as a metric of what we would predict students to find easier and harder. Mm. Then I have the actual data that says what was easier and harder. And then I kind of cross match those two sets of data mm-hmm. and kind of create a, a more of a predictive index. Yeah. And obviously that's a really simplified item response theory. Item response theory will have at least one more um, yeah. variable that they're going to take into account into that but you can quickly see that there are questions that not only students didn't like but then they, report, they perform badly on so students that get that right um, maybe they have certain traits that you're looking for yeah. that, that are more predictive of, of being a better doctor but then equally then there's the ones that students loved and most people got them right is that that good of a predictor or is that more like where the baseline's at? Yeah, And so that's where I was. I wasn't going sub one mark. Definitely don't do that. And I think that's more students' own sort of emotions getting at them. Like they're going to be granted point 0.1 of a mark instead. Yeah. It's more like if, you're, if your baseline's one mark, then things can kind of get up as high as two or three times the value. I don't think of it as more marks. It's more like a, a value factor yeah. of a question. Interestingly, though, you do tend to see a trend where questions that students like they actually tend to perform worse than how they think they'll go mm. students that they hate so no sorry, stu- <laughs> questions that they hate <laughs> that was Freudian yeah. um, <laughs> questions that they hate they actually tend to do better than they thought they would yeah so there's an element there of of needing to be practicable with the way that you approach tests and have a good strategy there yeah because y- your own strengths can actually be your enemy if you're too rose colored in the way you're approaching a question
1: yeah definitely That's, that was a pretty good summary i think yeah. um again like i don't pretend to be an expert in item response theory i did math, but i didn't do like a biostatistics or anything like that um yeah and i'm sure there'll be people listening that get annoyed by our explanations but i think like ultimately the way to think about item response theory is it's a way of Um, analyzing like an answer or a a question and thinking about what, like you said, what the value of that is. So, um, and when we talk about value, it can be in different ways. So you can calculate a value for predicting a good medical student. So maybe four years removed, ASA gets all the medical student data back and looks at, okay, this question in 2012 was really good at determining whether or not someone would graduate with high marks in their clinical years yeah, um, and do that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so that's one way to do it. You could also, you can do all sorts of different regressions and you, and you add variables um, that you want to assess and then you try and map basically, yeah, basically how good that question is at determining that. Um, and there are a few indexes that are common you can google it on wikipedia but basically there's like a difficulty index that they that you assign to the question before actually giving it to students then there's the actual performance of the students on that question um and And there's a guessing
0: index yeah yeah Yeah, exactly yeah yeah. there's a probability of guessing index which is sometimes referred to as a baseline index yeah but that also means that you know and this was the common question at hack day can you totally hack this thing yeah not really. They're, they're yeah. going to have a pretty good um, exactly. indication of, of propensity to guess.
1: Exactly. And, and they, they do that by comparing with the previous and like subsequent questions yes. and how likely you should be in getting the next ones correct if you got this one correct. Yep. For instance, like if at a really basic level, if it's like you know, solve for X in question one, and it's a really straightforward. It's like x plus three equals five, so x equals two. Yeah. Um, and then the next question, they say, um, what is x squared? Yeah. So if you get one wrong, then you always get two wrong. So in in that mm. instance, in that simple instance, as far as doing item response theory on the second one, the yeah. second one would be not very predictive of anything because it's only predicting whether or not you got question one right. Yeah. So that guessing index will the guessing index would be like 100% accurate because it will always know when you're guessing and when you're not. Yep. Um, anyway, the, basically, again, it's not something you can control. <laughs> um, no, no. And it, it does sort of discourage, again, the whole golden bullet theory of being able to just yeah. guess through the paper. Um, my my hypothesis of how they use it, it's very hard to know exactly, um, but there are a few factors. So... Yeah, I agree. It's possible that that one question becomes worth one or two marks. Um, yeah, it's also possible, just in the overall way they c- uh, calculate the percentiles, um, they could they could look at like sort of stems as a whole potentially. So if you if you're getting like a whole stem correct or multiple questions correct, and and that's highly predictive of you know good performance overall, yeah. Then you could yeah you could potentially get a little bit rewarded if you had randomly gotten questions wrong throughout other aspects of the paper. It look it's hard to know exactly yeah. how it works. Um what I'm trying to say, that's actually a good analogy. So if, if I get one stem hundred percent wrong, but then if I get the same number of questions wrong spread across the paper, yeah what would be the impact of that? Like what would you think of that student? I would actually I would say the student that gets like eighty percent, hundred percent correct. depending on the questions obviously but arguably is sort of executing it at a more elite level than someone who's sort of sporadically getting questions wrong because the Mm. person who's sporadically getting questions wrong whilst they're performing well consistently um they're never never showing that sort of like elite ability to like get maybe the hardest questions right across some stems they're just you know consistently getting questions wrong and so you can say you know in this really high stakes exam ace is trying to you're trying to differentiate between those two students. Yeah. And so item response theory is, is a mechanism to do that. Yeah. Because you can look at the questions and which ones are getting right and in what volumes and and what propensity to other questions. Yeah. And you can say that this student um, you know, yes there are questions they get wrong, but the ones they're getting a whole sem correct um, including the ones that are highly predictive of Good performance amongst the whole cohort; therefore, this student should be ranked more highly than someone else. Correct, and that's yep. why
0: you can have two of the the same like mm-hmm. overall percentile scores, getting two different scores. Yeah, yeah. Now that, that that makes sense. Um, mm. Yeah, yeah. But I think that the take home there is like you you can't beat item response theory, and in fact, no. you you shouldn't. One thing that it does encourage, though, is when you're again going back to doing those practice tests. Don't just look at the the raw score as the be all and the end all. Uh, and I think this is why for yeah. our mock tests we always provide the analytics exactly, on the questions, yeah. so you know how the cohort <coughs> did, not just how you did, exactly. and not just overall score wise. Like you can see some questions were interpreted yeah. Um, yeah. much better than others, uh, and other questions differentiated people. Um,
1: yeah, more so, predictively. Sort of, you know, like the the kind of metrics we typically look at are. Um, If a a group is the top 10% of scoring students get the question right in higher frequency, so 50% of the top 10% get a question right, then that question is particularly good at identifying students that will score well across the whole test. Yes. Um, That also goes into how we build our diagnostic test on the website, the free exam. Yes. um, By pulling those questions together and and making a whole exam out of those questions. Yeah. yeah all right why don't we move into the next question
0: sure sure so the next question almost is a flip of the first question yep Uh, so if you're a person that's taking that more uh perfectionist style method you look up at the clock you've got 15 minutes to go Mm -hmm. how do you best utilize that last 15 minutes
1: Yeah, it's it's a really good question uh Uh, good segue um Look, again this goes into different styles and and everyone will have a slightly different approach um, i think yeah for, for me like it would be useful to obviously and this goes into using your reading time effectively um you need to know sort of the lay of the land a little bit so you should have a sense of what the next questions are going to look like yeah um and then So I would have a quick look through the next questions. Depends how many I've got left. Let's say I have 20 left. Um,
0: Yeah, 20 is a good number.
1: Yeah, because 20 is probably more than I could ever do at my own rate. Yeah, yeah. But maybe enough to do five to 10 at my own rate and guess the other 10 completely. Or should I sort of uh, mortgage some questions and accelerate on others to try and finish at sort of an optimum rate? Yeah. I don't know what the right answer is. I'd probably make that decision depending on what the questions looked like. Yeah. And it goes back to, again, going back to some of the other content we've been making that surgeon-physician approach I was talking about, you know, making the calculation based on how much text to questions there are. So, if there's a huge amount of reading and content for very little questions, then in a time-poor situation, I would sort of um, put them on the bench for later. Yep. Yep. And in a situation where there's a relatively smaller amount of reading, or if I see the stem and I think um, I can analyze this at less than a minute a question and pick pick answers with some confidence, yeah, um, like reading off a graph or something like that, I'll just jump to those questions first. Um, right. And yeah, especially questions with graphs and things like that, sometimes they're actually quite quick to answer. I'll skip straight to the questions, try and find answers as quickly as I can. Yeah. And then if I have time, get back to those questions that have more content in them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that goes for the whole paper, but sort of put in that pressure cooker, you just start having to make sacrifices and choose what's the best solution for you.
0: Yeah, the last, if, if you're in the last 15 minutes with 20 questions left, that pressure cooker, it's it's a... It's a, an untenable equation. So you're mm. going to have to cut bait on something. So I totally agree, like... the economist approach of looking at, at inputs output uh, yeah. is definitely something I'd do. The other thing is if you've been reviewing yourself properly in your study, you'll know that you'll have tendency towards, as you said, certain types of questions. Yeah. So like for me, I'd be looking for questions that have predominantly numbers within them. Yeah. Because I'll, I'll err towards the mathematical because I know I've got methods for eliminating options as well as arriving at options faster. Yeah. But if you're the opposite, if you're like a non-mathematical person and these people are becoming more and more frequent, but you're actually a really, really good uh, like reader, reader and analyzer of content, yeah. then, yeah, try to find a, a great economy question where you can go and put your reading skills exactly. and grammar skills to the test. Yeah. Because you're going to have to guess some with that equation. Like, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah.
1: No, I think that's a good... And I think the, it's a good um, point that you, that we're making is that Um, The way that you think about the last 20 minutes and those 15 questions is how you should Think about the paper as a whole yeah especially for students that don't finish with regularity so that's an important question that's again going back to our original question is why you should do a paper yeah um, you need to have a sense of where you are in like the hair versus the tortoise you know are you going to finish or not are yep. you are you slow are you fast if you're someone who reliably finishes with some time remaining sort of regardless of the questions these strategies are still useful for you but you can sort of somewhat rely on the fact that, okay, most of the time I can finish. I'm pretty good at keeping time. I don't need to be anxious about sort of how I spend my time because it just seems to work itself out. Yeah. And that was usually how I found myself, which is obviously a good position to be in. Mm-hmm. Um, but for students that aren't finishing, I, a lot of people I find, and it's happened, you know, I choose someone who sat at four times in a row and they haven't finished four times in a row. Yes. And it's flooring how they haven't thought of that as a problem. You yep. know, it's just like, if I keep practicing, I'll, I'll finish. Yeah. But the reality of it is that you're, the way you're approaching the questions is somewhat kind of fixed and a bit intrinsic. So, the way that you're obviously going about it. Yes. Like, you're obviously making some sort of um, transaction where you think like, this is how much time I have and consistently you're overspending on certain questions. So, having that, like you, I think this is approach you take, like jumping through the paper a bit more and maybe mm. being a little bit, Um, more of an economist or the surgical approach throughout can pay off um, because you get to the questions that you have that tendency towards you know you've used the section one and three question log you understand your own tendencies you pick the questions you usually get right Mm -hmm. and then the questions that you're not so hot on you can go back and um yeah and have a go and know that maybe they're the questions i'm not good at and that i've already maximized like my best case because i've use my most focused time on the questions I'm good at.
0: Yeah. That's actually a really good segue into, into our last question. So, you mentioned the question logs and everything there. Um, again, being six weeks out, what are the best review techniques that we can kind of be using now? And, and, I, and I guess to, to rephrase that because the best review techniques we would have used three months ago when yeah. a lot of people who were having that long view started are totally different to now. So, it's almost about high yield um, you know, maximizing yeah. the time that's left.
1: Definitely. So um, hmm, let me think for a second. Um, Do we have thinking music? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, look, look, I, I think again, some of those things that we already said, so yep. definitely doing papers to time. I think doing um, as a significant ish volume is useful. Um, with some regularities, and so maybe um, like we do with our students once a week. Um, yep. and ma- and maybe that's about the right the right sort of amount of time. And when I say doing it to time, I mean like the whole day because um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I think there's some value in like again, it's just not real unless you do it like the real thing. yep, uh, and you can replicate it at home. you can come to us, we do mocks, you know it's it's up to you. Um, so that that process is useful. And then all the things we've just said, so, being reflective about so you know if I'm starting right now or if I have six months left and how do I maximize it um, I want to have start building that strategy so yep. how am I going to be an economist how am I going to finish the paper which questions are higher value which questions are low value for me yep. you should be be able to answer those questions um, you know in, in the next few weeks yeah um,
0: and if you've been in the if you've been in our programs at this point you're, you're around about 1,800 to 3,000 questions So yeah, exactly, you should have an idea now where either your strengths and weaknesses are or where some of the challenges are with certain question styles. Exactly. If you're a person that's starting right now, that's something you need to be, I guess, more cognizant of when you're yeah. starting your questions. Um, and equally, maybe why you need to be thinking more critically about getting some guidance on developing an exam strategy otherwise you just won't have enough time until it'll be like the week beforehand that you go oh wow i might need a strategy for this
1: exactly yeah um and that's where uh like the question logs are useful even in this period so if you know if you do one exam and then log them for section one section three um i can put i'll put all the links in the description um it's useful because you can go back through and hopefully identify some trends in um, which questions you're getting right and which questions you're getting wrong with some frequency. Yeah, it doesn't always work, um, but for the pe- but if there are things that you find, they're extremely valuable because then you mm. know, you know, every time I'm asked to um, do a worded question in science where there's competing values and it's in like a worded form, mm. um, things going up and down or neutral or whatever, I always seem to get that wrong or I always seem to get that right. That's a use, really useful insight because then. In that pressure cooker situation we described, you know what to go to. You know that I'm going to go to that type of question because I always get it right. I'm going to do that. I'm actually going to read the passage and invest that time because I know that that's the kind of question that I usually get right. Yeah. So those insights are useful. I do think some study in theory, especially building fluency in your basic maths is so critical. Yeah. Yeah. I know that sounds like a vague thing. A lot of people ask me like, oh, what resource do I go to for studying maths? I, there's un, almost unlimited resources on doing basic maths, whether that's like brilliant.org is a website I really like. Um, they have really yep. funky courses or just basic year 11 and 12, logarithmic, index laws, unit conversions in chemistry. They've got whole checkpoint books on that. Yep. Um, that stuff is very useful because it just it just makes everything else occur with less friction it's kind of the, it's like it's a hard it's an intangible but but if you have like we said mathematical calculations on your side then you're not phased by questions with numbers like it's a question like oh I can if as long as I work out how to use the formula I'll be able to do this question correct um, but if there's some any fear in using formulas and working with numbers it's yeah. a real negative for section three
0: yeah um, even section one I mean I think you need coping mechanisms for all question types. Yeah. If you don't, I mean, obviously, c- coping mechanism A is I can just do this. That's, yeah. that's awesome. That's critical. Um, um, yeah. But, you know, co- if coping mechanism B is uh, I'm not good enough at maths to be able to work with pi or, um, you know, convert Swearing, things absolutely. But if you can at least things, yeah. determine relationships... And, and maybe from from some of the questions you've done, you know that any time a square's there, you always get it down to the right two, but you choose the wrong one. Mm. Always ends up being a bigger number or something. Yeah. Maybe this time you'll choose the bigger number. Yeah. Like It's that type of you know, reflective review that will become yeah. critical to, to having ways and means.
1: Exactly. And it's one of the hardest things to explain, explain how it's valuable, but it, just know that it is. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like even in the last few weeks, some of the um, our tutors have been working in class, and often um, they'll message and say, "Hey, can you quickly like screen share and go through a question?" And so I might not have seen the question like before, yeah. um, and so I'll be working through the question with them. And yeah, it's like it's like the answers start to appear in some weird way. Yeah. Like you know that one of the axis axes are squared, and then in the question, that same you, that same variable isn't squared.
0: Yeah. So, then, yeah. like,
1: some internal tree in my mind says that, like, the result, somewhere in these results, it's a square root. So, like, look yeah. for a value that's a square root of, of a, a whole square because it's pretty likely to be that. And one of the answers was, like, close-ish to 4. And then yeah. I read off the graph and R squared was 16. And that's the correct answer. Yeah. Um, and that's obviously, you know, an easy version of it. But it's, yeah, it's kind of, you start seeing the forest for the trees, those some questions that might be extremely challenging, yep. you know, working through the whole equation and then doing a square root over seven different numbers. It's just things become easier. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I think the maths backgrounds do well.
0: Okay. What about um, reviewing section one?
1: Yep. Um, so for section one, uh, again, I still think the intelligent reflective review is um, useful. Yeah. Uh, I would focus in on the um sort of uh specialty text types again the, re- the reward for that is is variable it really depends on the day so yeah doing some of that stuff with poetry that we said can be valuable mm-hmm. um a little bit on cartoons i wouldn't spend too much time there's probably like one or two questions are likely to appear on it yeah and then in interpreting text um uh, I, again, going back to that Q&A, I, did the, I, I described it as sort of drawing a flow chart of your thinking. So
0: yeah. it's
1: kind of like making a case in court for why you chose an answer in section one. Yeah. What were the steps that you took? Which line was it in? What uh, words led you to that answer? Um, because that kind of granularity in your thinking is what will get the question right or wrong. Sometimes you won't understand the words, you yeah. won't get the passage and you'll get it wrong. Yeah. That's fine. But that's actually quite rare. I, I'd say most students come up with some, uh, you come up with like this internal dialogue of why this question is right. But I think the process of writing that dialogue down and identifying like the words and connotations yeah. is really critical.
0: <clears throat> yeah, I've, I've, the, the buzzword I've been using uh, is prosecuting the answers. Mm-hmm. If, you, if a, an answer doesn't stand up across examination, then it's wrong. Yeah, yeah yeah exactly um, so there, there needs to be evidence 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 and yeah. that's the reasoning and, process there
1: and that's um evident in the a practice papers as well so obviously in the way yeah. that we, you know build our course we think about the way they've used their papers and um and you can mechanically go through the paper and find lines and words that match the answer correct it's not like a matching game you know match the colors but the kind of connotations will match the connotations of the answer. Yep. And and the skill in section one is knowing when you're just picking an answer because it kind of feels right. Yep. Whereas, whereas actually finding the evidence for your answer yep. um, within I, the allotted time.
0: Yeah. And if you can't do that, that's something that would be high yield to build. Definitely, towards the yeah. End. Yep. And, I, and I mean, ideally, if you can see someone else doing that, sometimes it then becomes apparent. Definitely. Um, which is often, I know, a way that we both like to teach where yep. it, rather than students saying, oh, I got this question wrong and then this is the answer. It's like, don't tell me what the answer is. Yeah, Let me go through the question. Um, let's see if the reasoning I come up with works or if, if not, yep. but at least the, you see the process.
1: Yeah, I think it's a very subtle difference, but prospectively teaching, so like in like a live way, yep. um, is infinitely more valuable than sort of retrospective teaching yep. where you look at the questions and then go backwards and say, why do we get it right or wrong? Especially yep. towards this end of the process. So early, yeah, on, early on, early on, I think that's valuable for sure because yep. um, you can identify error, errors in your theory and thinking and, and stuff. But but as you get closer and closer, to the pointy end, you're going to have to do this exam and there won't be answers. So thinking about what is your actual forwards moving strategy is important. Um and that's, that's obviously what we build into our simulation day. It's all over our websites in the description about um, yep. about that day. But um, you and I found that in our tutoring sessions last year, the sort of secret source, at least this is for me, because um, students, you know, like they watch my videos and they say, oh, you know, you're the hack lord. Um, I want, yep. you know, I want the golden bullet. I have a w- two weeks left. What, How do I get every question right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and the most useful thing that, uh, like, reliably, it's basically getting a set of questions and then um sort of going through it it's almost like a I don't know, like a golf demonstration. Like I go through the the Gamsat um and I'm just answering the question and I have no warning or preparation, which is scary but necessary. Necessary. Uh and then I go through the question and I get something right and I get some wrong. Mm -hmm. Um but that understanding of how I'm actually, whether I'm going to questions first, how I dart back and forth between the passage. It's all like the kind of subtleties and nuances that are really valuable.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, and that's what we're trying to do in this new day. Uh, around in September. We're yeah. kind of doing a big, um, big version for this March where we'll have a panel of section one and section three tutors essentially doing that live for you. Correct, um, yeah. And, yeah, it'll be interesting because especially the panels we're trying to put together, there'll be some people that are really high scoring from the outset yep. and then people who have improved quite significantly as well through study and maybe our programs as well. So it'll be interesting to see, um, and I'm looking forward to it, the kind of approaches they take and the discussion that's generated in the panel.
0: Yeah. Now, having <coughs> um, having been involved with September 1, it was it was interesting. And I think a lot of the students that were kind of watching on the thing that it really, really helped them with was those questions where they didn't normally have a way to access them. Yeah. Because you you see that amongst some myriad of high performers, there's actually not one way necessarily that that everyone will dive in. Yeah, there's
1: no right way.
0: Yeah. People are diving in through a range of different ways based on, you know, their own profile. So that kind of gives them confidence to try and find ways based on their own profile. And it may only mean a, a difference of, you know, five all the way up to maybe 20 marks, but it starts to become meaningful after a while. So. Yeah,
1: definitely. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll experiment with some different things. There's still a couple of things to set in stone, but um, p- potentially putting some tutors under time duress as well and seeing how yeah. they react. And um, I think there's a lot to learn from those days. So uh, come along if you can. Um, yeah. And also all our mock exams are starting this weekend. So excited with that. Oh, sorry next, next weekend. Week. weekend yeah yeah, yeah. go scared for a second um, <laughs> yeah. I uh, so yeah going to Feb 24th and every week after that we'll have mock exams running Yeah, um, which we're looking forward to um, I think an exciting development there uh, is the subject area analysis so this year we're tagging all our mock exam questions with the different subject areas sort of roughly aligning with um, the question logs and the course as well so that after you do the exam, you actually get a sense of where you're weak and where you can prioritize your study. Yeah. So a lot of those things we've been talking about today, um, it just really emphasizes the some of the value that we're, we're trying to offer in that we understand that students in this last month or last six weeks are trying to work out where what's the best thing to study, what areas of theory do I need to do, what what kind of cognitive areas am I weak in? Yeah. And that's exactly what we're tagging those questions with so that at the end of doing your exam, Maybe you know that you need to do some study in inorganic chemistry um, and also that you're in your cognitive skill set, you're consistently getting this type of cognitive skill wrong and you can go back to the paper and look at what those cognitive skill questions kind of look like roughly.
0: Yeah, um, yeah.
1: And start working on those flow diagrams of thinking in section one or in section three as well, like what what were the steps that you took that actually led you to get this wrong? Mm-hmm. And how do you start building in those sort of safeguards and nets and sort of tools to avoid that same error in your thinking? Yeah. Um so yeah, really excited for that simulation day and mock exam. We've got a bunch of packages that are discounted and things like that. Enough, enough ranting about the course. Um, any other
0: thoughts or questions? Um. no look i think uh that's actually been a pretty solid uh episode yeah. with a range of different questions i think tying back to similar things so yeah you know with this sort of time that we've got left uh, planning's critical reviews critical yep. and also not sort of trying to escape the inescapable with the the GAMSAT, but yep. kind of committing to having different methodologies uh, having mm. different coping mechanisms in place so that you can you know, put your best foot forward on the day. Yeah. and um, yeah I guess to tie it off, thank you to everyone that, that did
1: that made it this far
0: uh, made it this far but also that, that sending their questions via you know, Facebook yeah. or, or Instagram or via email. If you mm-hmm. do want to shoot us questions you can do it on any of those different locations yeah. but you can also email us directly tom at phrasesgamsat.com.u right. or Scott at phrasesgamsat.com.u and until the the next pod yeah we'll uh we'll hear from you soon hopefully
1: yeah yeah and um take care of yourselves as well that's one thing we forgot you know i know it's a difficult time yeah um there are many other sits i'm taking a year off we'll talk about it another time but just don't worry about the rat race
0: indeed indeed (laughs) uh cool all right thanks everyone we'll see you next time bye